0: Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Tonight, as we
1: Come back to Deuteronomy. We've done one topical study so far in Deuteronomy, and now we come back to chapter two, and we're going to do our second topical study in Deuteronomy. And as we come to Deuteronomy, realize that in this book, this is Moses with the children of Israel in the last month of his life on the east side of the Jordan River in Moab, and he's going to, Deuteronomy means the second law. From, the, from a Greek word in its root origin, which really it's not a second law, but it's the expanding or the explanation of God's law from Exodus and Leviticus by Moses here. So what he's doing is he's recounting God's law in detail in this incredible sermon. The book is essentially a sermon to the next generation of Israelites, those who were under 20 from the failure at Kadesh Barina 38 years prior, who are going to go in the land and conquer it along with Joshua as their leader and Caleb as the other witness from the 12 spies that were sent out. And he's going to recount, here in the early chapters, he's recounting what God did for them. And then he's going to get right into teaching the law for like 30 chapters. So in this early part of Deuteronomy, the first four chapters, we're getting a review of their journey. So Moses is recounting God's faithfulness in the past to bring them to, here's where it's at for you. And here's what you need to think about as you and your generation go into the promises and your children and your children's children, how are you going to raise them that they may live in those promises once we're in the promised land? And that's where we're at. So here in chapter 2, we're still in that early part of Deuteronomy where Moses is reviewing God's faithfulness to them and recounting what God had done. And so we're going to read a few verses here in chapter 2, and then we're going to look at a couple other verses, not so much in uh, verse by verse, but looking at a couple of verses throughout these two chapters that connect to our topic tonight. So, in chapter two, verse one, we read this: After the failure at Kadesh Barnea, when the people refused to go in to enter the land because of the bad testimony of the ten spies, they chose to believe that instead of the good testimony of the two spies, Joshua and Caleb. We read as Moses, as recounting these things, says this: Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness. Of the way of the Red Sea. As the Lord spoke to me, and we skirted Mount Seir for many days. Mount Seir is a range of mountains, not just one. It's that region south of the Dead Sea, and it's a mountain range, and that's where they were for many days. Verse 2 And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have skirted this mountain long enough, turn northward. And command the people, saying, You are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau who live in Seir. And they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourself carefully. Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one footstep, because I've given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness these 40 years. The Lord your God has been with you And you have lacked nothing. And when we passed beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau, we dwelt in Seir, away from the road of the plain, away from Elath and Isian Geber. We turned and passed by the wilderness of Moab. Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given our to the descendants of Lot as a possession. Now Moses goes on to describe more of this journey and then he comes forward to the very back end of the journey in verse 24 where he gets to the stories of uh, Sihon and Og and this is what we read in verse 24. So after they knew which way not to go and who not to mess with, he says this, uh, the Lord said, rise and take your journey, cross over the river Arnon, look I have given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon and his land. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. This day, will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. Then later on in chapter 3, verse 1, the attention shifts to another uh, king, King Og, whom they defeated. And it says this, Then we turned and went up the road to Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all of his people to battle at Edrei. And the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all of his people and his land into your hand, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon. This is the chronological order of the journey that they had in the wilderness for 40 years, particularly the back 38 years, because this text tonight picks up after the failure at Kadesh Barina, which happened two years into their journey. So, as we look at this text, the very first phrase of verse 1 of chapter 2 says, And they journeyed in the wilderness. And that's really what this was. It literally was their journey in the wilderness. For everyone over 20 who refused to go in and take the land and believe the bad report, theirs was a journey, a journey of death. It was a death march for the next 38 years. And then for everyone under 20, it was a time of preparation. So you have two parallel things happening. We talked about this. You're waiting for everyone over 20 to die off in this wilderness, and they will for the next 38 years. And then you're watching God work and prepare everyone who is under 20 to come through the wilderness to be better for it and then to enter into the promised land and all the promises that God has for them so one generation's on the way out that was the census at the beginning of numbers and one generation's about to go in and that's the census at the book at the end of the book of numbers and we have two generations with two different destinies one having sealed their fate with unbelief and the other still undecided with a fresh opportunity for them as we say, there's always generations in motion. We all have our chance, and life goes by very quickly. And even as they had to decide what they were going to do under 20, how their their worldview, how they would see things, so too the next generation we see right now all around us is deciding what's going to shape their life, what's going to shape their worldview. Is it going to be God's law, God's word, God's promises, His presence, His power, His promises? Or is it going to be repeating mistakes of previous generations. And only time will tell. I don't intend to be around in 2060, and I don't suppose many of you will be either. But if you're around in 2060, we'll know a lot more about what the millennials chose to do and Generation Z with their timeline. But for now, it's us, Gen X and baby boomers, most of us in here tonight. Now, it was a journey, and Moses said, we turned and journeyed. That phrase encapsulates the next 38 years. We turned and did our journey. Being in Colorado this last weekend, many of you know, not only do we have, uh, do we have the birth of uh, Remy, our fifth grandchild, but it was also for Jennifer and I, our 33rd wedding anniversary in, in, we were there in Colorado, and we went to Colorado on our honeymoon, so it was very special to be where we went on our honeymoon 33 years ago. Being there and 33 years of marriage, that got me thinking a lot about like our, our Wedding day our honeymoon and then wouldn't you know it? today the guys were down there at the beach at 6th street and some photographer setting up to do cheerleading photos for Edison high school yearbook and I go to talk to the photographer and ask them what time they're doing it because they're right where we're at and I'm like hey if we're gonna have a whole thing maybe we need to move down the beach and lo and behold it's Danny Mitten, my wedding photographer I was like Danny I just posted your picture yesterday Danny Mitten, you know, I give him a big hug, and the guy's like, "Why is he hugging this photographer right there?" You know, the, it's, it's Danny Mitten, our wedding photographer, and we we're just talking. I'm like, I'm looking at the person who 33 years ago did our wedding photos, and uh, it gets you thinking. Thirty year, 33 years is almost like 38 years. 33 and 38, they're you know, they're they're not that far apart. When you've been married 33 years, you've you got things to think about. Now, some of you here have been married longer than 33 years. Some maybe a little bit less. Some maybe newly married. You're in the front of the journey, where for me, it's like, hey, this is what the journey looks like right now, and there's this window of 10 years, maybe, Lord willing, and there's another window of 10 years, and then I'm 80, and I know how things slow down at 80, because I've seen it you know, taking care of my parents and my in-laws and all that. It's very interesting for me, a very reflective time in my life just last week. So they turned and journeyed. And life is a journey. Of course, many of you know one of my favorite sayings has been, Enjoy the journey. As I've gone through that process, I thought, You want to share the journey too. Like, you can't enjoy the journey if you're not sharing the journey because it's just not, you know, we're meant to be interconnected and with, with humans in the human experience. So you want to enjoy the journey, but you want to share the journey. And these guys had a journey. And they shared it. And for someone like Caleb and Joshua, they actually enjoyed it. And they came through it better for it and ready for the next things in their life. While they watched people die, and it was hard to watch, a death march for everyone else. But Joshua and Caleb. And then the next generation, they got ready. And hopefully they enjoyed their journey. But we know we're on a journey. And even again this morning when Sam was teaching the men, he kept talking about that our home is in heaven. And he talked about the legacy of the Rechabites. And he talked about, you know, Peter where it says that we're uh, conduct ourselves a certain way as we're pilgrims and sojourners. And just being reminded that we are on a journey, and it goes so very, very fast. I didn't plan it this way, but I won't be here for my 60th birthday next week, and I'm glad. So wish me happy birthday when I'm not here. You can't do anything to me if I'm not here. Right? Okay? So five grandkids, 33 years married, and a 60th birthday coming up next week. I'll be with my family in Florida for my 60, 60th birthday. And that's pretty much... You think about that. You know Vero Beach on a Sunday afternoon... With your family in Florida. Doesn't that sound like your 60th birthday? I mean, come on, that's that's pretty, I'm feeling that one with the dolphins going by, the white sand beach. I pick up a few shells on the beach, seems appropriate for 60. So it goes fast. It goes fast. 40 years will go fast, 38 years will go fast, 10 years go fast, 5 years go fast. It just goes fast. I remember when Jennifer and I got married, uh, five years into our marriage, we were in Virginia Beach, and for our fifth wedding anniversary, I got one of those Hummels, those Precious Moment Hummels. Remember when they used to have those? And it was a five year anniversary. We still have it. It's made the cut through 30 years. You know, certain things, you, it's still there. So I really, again, I'm, I'm back on the journey because that's the context. These two chapters are about the journey, their journey, and what was in it for them. Now, tonight, because we've been looking at the journey, but tonight we're going to look at the relationship of Israel, the nation, and we've got to keep in mind the younger generation because the older generation is just going to die. Like, they've gone their way. They're, they're, there's, no, there's no turning back for them. So they're kind of like, they sealed their fate. But what we're really thinking about is everyone that was under 20 at K- after Cades Marina. So at 38, 38 years, so they could be 58. So the, the group that Moses is talking to could be as old as 58, but they're not over 60. They're under the 60 clip. And who's to be hearing this review of the journey, that it means something to them that they can apply to their future, which seems very appropriate for uh, most of us here tonight. If you're over 60, you can just apply it anyways as the Lord would apply it to you. And it's about the relationship of three things. There's three things that we saw tonight that Israel had a relationship with that was shaping them in their journey for what ultimately the future had. And so as we think about our journey and we think about these things, and we're all on it, First thing we draw attention to is their relationship with Mount Seir. Not a people, but a mountain. Mount Seir. As I mentioned reading it, parenthetically, I told you, this is a mountain range. This isn't particularly one mountain. It's a mountain range. And it says in the New King James verse 2, it says that they skirted this mountain long enough. The Old King James says they compassed it. I'm like, these are interesting. Like uh, you know, I These are words that we need to think about. But then if you look at the Hebrew word, it, its root word means to encircle or to surround or be surrounded by. And it can even mean whirl, whirl circle like you're whirling in circles. So if you look at the word itself, and that's what we need to do to just get a better understanding. Because God says you've done this long enough. You've skirted this mountain, not one mountain, but this mountain range in the southern Judean side below the Dead Sea. You, you've done this. Now, a couple weeks ago in Numbers, we read verse by verse every place they stopped. 41 places in their 38-year journey that they had gone to during that timeline. And here, Moses just summarizes, summarizes it. You've gone in circles long enough. They literally were going in circles and they were skirting this mountain range, and it was just like this. So this first few verses represents like 37 years of their journey because the rest of chapter 2 and 3 represents that final year and a half or so when they were rejected to go through Edom by the Edomites, when they, you know, engaged Sihon and Og and defeated them. It all accelerated. So these first few verses encompass a long period of time, skirting this mountain long enough, and then the, the, g- avoiding... Esau's descendants Edomites and then engaging Sihon and Og, that all happened in the last two years. See, like 36 years, if you will, of skirting this mountain range and then finally now go. And that gets our attention. They literally were in a rut. They were literally in a neutral gear, if you will, for about 36 years. That's a long time to be going nowhere. Do you know anybody that's been going nowhere for 36 years? <laughs> I think we do. There's a lot of people that live their life and never go anywhere with the Lord. They, they never get started on their journey. They just live in their own life, recklessly or carelessly. And so it's not coincidental that Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And if we think that and we think and say that Jesus is the author and finish our faith, then we realize that he is the journey. Of course, Jesus is the beginning of our faith. And we're born once in Adam and sin and death. Then we're born again, we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Thus the great journey begins. And then there's a life that's going to be lived through faith in Jesus Christ, and that's the journey that counts. Although a journey is just they don't matter. The journey never really begins, obviously, until we give our life to Christ. Now, the journey of life begins, and you can live your life, and you can live 80 years any way you want to, with or without the Lord, but these were the people of covenant, so the better context is related to people who have given their life to Jesus Christ. But how many people confess Christ and just go in circles around Mount Seir or never leave the valley in the shadow of Mount Seir? How many people Confess Christ and never enter into an abundant life that Jesus talks about. Never turn the corner on certain things. They're shallow and superficial and never get deep root and depth with the Lord. And that's not what we want. We want to go deep with the Lord. And you think about it, the letters to 1st and 2 Corinthians to the Corinthian church dealt very much with people that were scooting Mount Seir. They just, they, they, they were truly saved. They were truly born again. They had a saving relationship. But they were carnal. So when we think about Christians and people confessing Christ, whether it be me or you or anyone who confesses Christ, not really going forward, not really in personal growth going forward into the abundant life that Christ has for us, not really growing in the knowledge of the Word, not really growing in the things of the Spirit, not really growing in the understanding of the character of God and the heart of God. That's like the Corinthians. So to just stay at Mount Seir as, a, as someone who confesses Christ, to just be at Mount Seir and to go in circles and to not get out of that rut or out of the, the neutral gear, all you have to do is nothing. If we, don't try, if we don't seek the Lord, if we don't proactively look to build ourselves up in the faith, we will just be carnal. The, the, the devil knows that. Our flesh knows that. And our, even in our human nature, as we look in the mirror for honest, we know that. The way to drift from the Lord is just to do Nothing the way in the growing the Lord is to proactively get after the Lord and do things. But if we just do nothing and just sit in the shadow of Mount Seir and we're content to have a self-serving Christian faith, uh, sort of a self-absorbing one where the orbit is really around us and what Christ does for us and it's really about how I get ahead or you know, 20 principles that I'm going to have a good life and not being dead or something like that, we've missed the whole point because we know that if we're going to grow in our faith, we must lose our life to gain our life in Christ. And that's really where the journey is. So the way to get out of Mount Seir as a believer is to get past ourselves. For what will it profit a man or woman if they gain the whole world and yet they perish? Jesus said if we come after him, we must deny ourselves and seek first his kingdom. And we must love him and put him above all other relationships in the human experience horizontally. And only then can we truly enter into abundant life and fulfill his plans within us in our character and fulfill his plans through us for our calling. Mount Syria is a very real historical place and what it represents is a very real spiritual place for a lot of people who call themselves Christians. And we don't want it to be me or you or anyone listening to me. When Sam was teaching the men this morning, he talked about how most people fear physical death, but very few people fear spiritual death, the death of the soul. And that just so, that really got my attention. Because this, if you think about what's happened in the last 20 years in our country and the planet as a whole is the death of the soul of humanity. We've desensitized ourselves to humanity and the design and order of humanity that God has. And all the beautiful things of Christianity where it elevates the needy, it elevates women and equal rights of women, it, all these beautiful things and true education and a biblical worldview it's all just been completely destroyed, pretty much, in 20 years on a global level, affecting the entire church. Where the confusion over origin, the confusion over gender, the confusion over marriage, it's so anti-biblical and it's so ungodly. It's 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 so sad. At this point, after 20 years, it's just really it's not so much something you're mad about. It's just sad. It's grievous. It's sad and it's sorrowful. But Even if the world has allowed its soul to be killed, we cannot allow the soul of the church to be killed. Because the soul of the church is the mind of Christ and the word of the Lord and his calling. So in our journey, for each of us individually and for our homes, we gotta be really careful about Mount Seir. And if we do nothing, we'll just stay at Mount Seir. We we want to grow. I I was thinking about this on this trip. Many of you know I like to think in a four-square template. And um, I was thinking of the letter F in a four-square template. And I thought, well, faith is the most important thing in a four-square template. So if you have a four-square template and your cornerstone is right here, that would have to be faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? I mean, faith is the most important thing. We're called to live by faith. Paul said we walk by faith, we'll live by faith, we're saved by faith. Faith is everything. And I thought, well, okay, if faith is there, then probably focus would be— this is the stuff I do when I'm just my eyes closed on a plane, it looks like I'm sleeping— but a uh, focus, it would be like vision, right? Because it says that the people without a vision perish. Habakkuk said, write the vision, make it plain, so he who reads can run with it. When Pasha was here from Russia last week, we were talking about different things in Russia, and I said, you need to write the vision and make it plain. You know, when someone, when someone asked you, when, when uh, Pastor Ken Ortiz asked Pasha about things in Russia, he couldn't give a clear answer. And I, go, I said to Pasha, I go, listen, When someone says like this, it's, it's, well, remember the guys at the conference, they know the book of Nehemiah, when the king said in Nehemiah, what's on your mind? He goes, I'll tell you what's on my mind. He knew exactly what was on his mind and exactly what he wanted. That's a vision. So we say faith and focus, focus is a vision, but you got to have faith. So you have faith say, here I am, what I'm on, then then you get the focus. Then I thought friendship up here is to be friendly because people perceive Christians right now as against them if they're not Christian, Jesus was a friend. And there's a friend that sticks closer to a brother. And I thought, you know, what we need is, we don't need to compromise the faith, but we want to be friendly. Jesus made friends wherever he went. I mean, of course, he had, had his headbutts with the religious hypocrites, but even then he, Simon, you know, when I came to your house, did you know my head? Did you do something? You know, this woman's washed my feet with her hair and her tears. Like, even then, he was still teaching. I thought, well, you know, everyone loves a friendly person because a friendly person is kind of, they, they ask asking questions about you instead of you telling them. A friendly person asks someone about their life. I want to know more about you. But a self-serving person is like, it's all about me, and this is what I do, blah, blah, blah. So a friendly person is, to be a friend, one must be friendly. So well, I want to be a friendly person, and then I want to have fruit, right? So those are my four Fs, right? So faith, focus, friendly, fruit. This is my latest four square. But I thought, to get to fruit, real fruit for eternity, you've got to have faith, and you got to have clarity of purpose to be proactive in the calling. And then you, you, you it's all about people and relationships. So for me, I just think in simple terms. And, but in thinking about the journey, I was like, if you do these things on the journey... You have a vision. You're, you know you're called to live by faith, so you're going to get and get after it. You have a sense of vision of what the day holds, what the week holds, what the month hold, the year, and, you, and you've got ideas. You, you, you're like, hey, after the men's ministry today, I was just thinking like all these ideas. Like, hey, this is what we need. This is where we're at. This is, where we, this, this is the first step in where we want to go. Like that's that's faith, and you know, talking to people, this this is it. So Mount Seer is a place where you don't have faith. Mount Seir is a place where you don't have vision. Mount Seir is a place where you're not friendly because you don't care. It's just you. And Mount Seir is definitely not the place of fruit because how much fruit can you have when you're going in circles in the desert doing nothing? So Mount Seir, the relationship of Israel with Mount Seir was a difficult one. And the way you pull out of Mount Seir, if that's us or me or a church or anybody, is just, the Lord says, you screwed it long enough. Turn northward. You have to turn. Something has to turn when you're in a rut. When we were in Japan a couple of years ago at the World Surfing Games, the very first day we had this team of athletes together, the two Hawaiian girls and a couple of the guys from California and stuff, and we all came together. We met the Hawaiian girls at the airport, at Narita Airport, and we were on the bus, and we got our rental car... And uh, I, I, I was backing up on these, these super narrow roads in Japan. If you've ever been to Japan, it's like super, in the villages, super narrow. And uh, I, 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 I was backing up, and we went off. And we're in a, we're in a rut. We're in a true rut. And uh, everyone had a good attitude about it. we have been traveling for like 36 hours. As they all got out, and we're trying to get out of this rut. And um, they kept saying, you got to turn the wheel the other way. We had to change the direction to get out of the rut. We had to change the direction to get out of the rut. And we did, and we got out of the rut, and uh, old Kevin Schultz, the, the really good surfer from San, San Clemente said, this was a team effort exercise for Team USA. Uh, exactly, that's exactly what it was. It's actually Joey just backing up, not seeing the rut. <laughs> you know? But it was a good rut, it was a pretty good rut, like the van was like this. Is it? But, but I was turning the wheel the wrong way, like you gotta turn the wheel the other way, that's how you get out of the rut.